Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, and welcome to the Christmas season. We're excited to be able to gather this Christmas time at Wildwood and to lift up the name of Christ together. And one of the ways that we're going to be doing that over the next number of weeks is starting a new Advent series. Advent is the time of the church calendar where we celebrate the first coming of Jesus. And we will be focusing our time over the next number of weeks in a series that we have called Mary's Christmas. We'll be treasuring his birth, Jesus' birth, from the perspective of his earthly mother. Now, as we get ready to launch this series, looking at the account of the Gospel of Luke, I want us to reflect just for a moment about what we celebrate at Christmas time. At Christmas time, we celebrate the supernatural and the natural coming together. We have the supernatural Son of God born through a natural process in a natural place in Bethlehem with a a real physical body, the supernatural and the natural coming together. That's something that we know of as the incarnation or the time where the Son of God takes on flesh. But this idea of the supernatural and the natural coming together is not something that we're only familiar with at Christmas time. As a matter of fact, I would hazard a guess that most of us think in these terms often. Let me give you an example. How many of you in the last month have spent some time praying for a friend or a relative who was ill and was getting ready to go for some kind of medical testing or a doctor's visit or a surgery? Many of us have spent some time on our knees praying for individuals. And in that moment, we're asking for a supernatural work of God, healing to come. But oftentimes that healing comes through a natural process, like through medicine or through a doctor or through surgery. Certainly God is not limited by that. He could heal them any way he wants to, but oftentimes the healing of God comes through a natural process. I'll give you another example. In preparation for this morning, I was trusting God for supernatural things. A desire to have this 2,000-year-old book come alive, for us to see it and to understand it, to get a vision for what God was really like and faith for us to respond. That's a supernatural task. But in the process of that supernatural goal, a very natural thing happened. I I read and I studied and I, I thought the supernatural and the natural coming together. Well, this process also occurs actually in how we get our Bibles. I don't know if you've ever thought about how do we get our Bibles, but oftentimes a supernatural thing, the Word of God, came to us through a natural process. Certainly God was able, there were times where God dictated something that a prophet wrote down, but there were other times where God gave us His supernatural inerrant Word through natural processes. And one of those times was in the Gospel of Luke. Luke, at the beginning of his gospel, tells us that he set out to put an orderly account together of the events of Jesus' life. And his source material, he tells us, was eyewitness accounts. 
He talked to people who lived with Jesus, who saw his birth, who saw his life, who saw his ministry, who saw his crucifixion, and who saw his resurrection. And as Luke, directed by the Spirit of God, interviewed these eyewitnesses, he compiled those stories together inside of his gospel. A supernatural book, but coming to us through a natural process. Now, I say that because it's important then for us to reflect on, well, who did Luke talk to? And when did he talk to them? Because Luke was not someone who grew up in the Middle East. He was not somebody that grew up in Jerusalem. He was someone that that joined the followers of Christ on one of Paul's missionary journeys as Paul headed into Europe for the first time. Luke was a Gentile. And as Luke became a follower of Christ, he certainly, as he traveled with Paul, would have had access to some eyewitnesses to Christianity and to the events of Jesus. But where did he get some of the other material that is shared specifically related to the account of the birth of Jesus? Friends, though it's some conjecture, I believe that he got that information probably between 57 and 59 AD when Paul was under arrest in a city called Caesarea that was in Palestine, in Israel. And while Paul was in prison, Luke, who was traveling with him, would have been in the Middle East and would have had some time to interview some eyewitnesses to the events of Jesus' life. And I believe that one of the people that Luke interviewed was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, the reason why I think that is because from a human perspective, the only people who would have known some of the stories that are included in Luke's gospel were Mary, was Mary. Things like the angel coming and and visiting her and telling her that she would have this son who would be born. Things like her time with Elizabeth um, during her pregnancy. Things like some of the events that happened at the birth of Jesus. Mary would have been the primo eyewitness account. And Luke even tells us in his his gospel, in in chapter 2 and verse 19, it says, Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. I think that what we see in Luke chapter 1 and 2 is the things that came out of the treasure chest of Mary's heart, things that God preserved that he wanted us to know about. And so this Christmas, we're going to look at the birth of Jesus from Mary's perspective, the things that she treasured in her heart as recorded in Luke's gospel. Today we're going to begin that study by looking at Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38 and the very famous account of Gabriel coming to Mary and telling her that she would be the mother of Jesus. Now, this is a familiar passage. You you probably have heard a number of messages in your life if you've been around the church or or read a number of things about this. This is not an obscure passage of Scripture, but my hope today for us is as we look at this old passage of Scripture, this familiar passage of Scripture, that God would do something special in our midst, that we would see it with fresh eyes. J.C. Ryle of these verses says this, He says, we have in these verses the announcement of the most marvelous event that ever happened in this world, the incarnation and the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a passage which we should always read with mingled wonder, love, and praise. Now, friends, I don't know exactly what it means to mingle wonder, love, and praise, but that's what we're shooting for today, okay? Um, So let's trust God as we read this familiar passage to have this story come alive for us. 
as we see the events of Gabriel telling Mary that she would be the mother of Jesus. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. It goes this way. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age was also, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was also called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Friends, in these verses today, I, I want to arrange our study of it in two parts. I want us to begin by trying to understand this story a little more, and then I want us to go back and look at it again and apply it to our lives. So the first thing I want us to do is to understand it. The first thing I think we need to understand, the, the first thing that, that Mary treasured, I think, in this account in her heart was this, the Lord chose Mary by His grace. The Lord chose Mary by His grace. Friends, there is mythology that has built up around the person of Mary, things that have been added to Scripture, stories that have made Mary some kind of a superhero, someone that had no sin herself, someone that was born in some kind of miraculous circumstances herself, someone that really became the, the mother of Jesus because she had impressed God so much by something that had happened in her life. People want to take the, the person of Mary, the historical person of Mary, and they want to add to her to make her something more than what she is. They, they want to say that her role as the mother of Jesus was a trophy that God gave her, that she had won a prize. But in reality, I think the Scripture would teach us it's much more closer, instead of that she won a trophy, that she won the lottery. She wasn't asked to be the mother of Jesus because she was somebody who was extra special. She was asked to be the mother of Jesus simply because God wanted to bless her, simply because God was gracious to her. That's, that's how it happened, and we see that throughout the passage. Now, now, where do we see that? Well, first of all, let's orient ourselves a little bit to who Mary was. Is anybody in here, we've got some high schoolers, some middle schoolers, anybody in here 14 years old? If you're 14, just raise your hand. Okay, we got a few 14-year-olds in there. I see some parents like pushing arms up. I realize you're 14, you don't want to raise your hand. I didn't want to raise my hand then either. I understand. I, I apologize now for asking you to do that. But I want you just to think about this for a moment. Those 14-year-olds with their hands up, that's probably the age that Mary was. 
She was not someone who was especially uh, accomplished in her life. She was young. We need to remember that. It was God's grace that chose her, not her performance, this young woman. We need to keep going with that thought, though, and look at what the rest of this passage tells us about her. It tells us that she was somebody who was from a city in Galilee named Nazareth. Now, that is a very generous description of where she was from, to say that she was from a city in Galilee named Nazareth. You know, we don't really typically call things cities that were as small as Nazareth. If we were to go today to the Middle East, go to Israel, we would find that Nazareth is a, a thriving city. Tens of thousands of people call it home. But in the first century, it wasn't that large. In the first century, it was about the size of Dewar, Oklahoma. Anybody ever been to Dewar, Oklahoma? Four or 500 people tops. That was Nazareth. Mary was not from a place of great prominence. She was from the north. She was from this place in Galilee called Nazareth. You know, like you, you, if you were to talk about Dewar, you would need to tell people Dewar, Oklahoma. At least people have a concept for Oklahoma. You don't have to say Los Angeles, California. You just say they're from L.A., you know where the, that is. But Dewar requires Oklahoma. Nazareth required Galilee. She was nothing special in where she was from. Not only that, she was nothing special in, in the means that she had in life. She was not a person of wealth. Why do we know that? We know that because when Jesus was born in chapter 2, Mary and Joseph go and present an offering at the temple. And the offering that they present at the temple as a consecration of their son was not the offering of a person of means. It was the offering of a poor person, a couple of turtle doves. We don't know about the partridge in a pear tree, but the turtle doves were offered. It's a reminder of their poverty. Mary was not someone that was special. She had, was not accomplished in life. She wasn't old. She wasn't from a special town. She was from the north in this little old rural community. She wasn't somebody that had a lot of means. She was somebody that had hardly anything. But even more than all of those things, we see how the angel spoke to her. What did the angel say to her? He called her, O favored one. Greetings, O favored one. A little later on, he says, you have found favor with God. What was, what was the angel saying? What was he emphasizing in that moment? Well, in that moment, he was emphasizing not that she was recognized for her performance, but she was someone who had been given grace. That word that is translated there, favor or favored one, also is from the same root of our word grace. She had been graced. That's what Gabriel said. Mary, you have been graced by God. God has just given you something. And what does grace mean? Grace means something that we did not earn, but that was given anyway, an unmerited favor. We're, we're familiar with this when we talk about our salvation in Christ, right? Where we're saved on the basis of grace, not our performance, but what God has done for us. When the angel shows up, he says to Mary, Mary, you are graced, you are favored, you are blessed. It is not about her and her performance, it is about God and his grace. Further evidence of this is in her reaction. When the angel shows up and, and addresses her and begins to talk to her, Mary doesn't look at her watch and go, well, angel, it is about time that you arrived. Because I have been so special and so righteous and so perfect in my life and my history and my past and my parents have been telling me about this special birth that I had. She doesn't say any of that stuff. When the angel shows up, she, me? You're, you're here for, for me? 
What is the purpose of this visit? Her surprise in that moment reminds us that she was a normal person, just like you and me. Friends, it, in this story, what we find in, in, the, in the account of Mary is a reminder of God's grace. The Lord chose Mary by his grace. He could have chosen anyone to be the mother of Jesus. Now, within the, the caveat of the descendants of David and, and there's a bloodline issue and those things, but by the time Jesus comes around, there are thousands of people that could have fit that description. Why Mary? Why was she chosen? She was chosen because of God's grace, not because of her performance. First thing that we see, and you know what? I, I think that Mary would have treasured that, don't you? God has given me grace. Second thing I think we need to understand about this story is that Jesus is the Christmas star. Jesus is the Christmas star. Now, by this, I don't mean that Jesus was the star in the sky, but what I mean is he's the star of the story. At the center of the account of Jesus coming into the world is Jesus himself. It wasn't shepherds. It wasn't wise men. It wasn't angels. At the center of the story was not Mary or Joseph. At the center of the story is Jesus. When the angel talks after telling Mary that she is blessed, he cannot quit talking about Jesus. Over and over again, he's telling us different things about him. And what does he say? Well, he says that you will have this child and you will name him, verse 31, you will name him Jesus. What does that mean? It means God saves. Mary, you're getting ready to have a baby that will bring salvation from God to the world. That's what the angel told her. Continues on, he'll be great. Well, in what ways is Jesus great? Well, we've seen this in his life, right? He was a great teacher. He taught the Sermon on the Mount. He taught other things. He, he was a great in power. He, he did miracles and he healed people. He was great in love and compassion for those. He was great in all of these areas. But his greatness was not something that was tied merely just to his performance, but it was connected to his very identity. It says he was great. He will be the son of of the Most High, the Son of God. That's who your son is, Mary. It's going to have a divine nature. It goes further. It says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, to understand this, we need to understand a little bit of the context. See, David was a former king of Israel, really Israel in its heyday. And God gave a promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that said that, David, one of your descendants will sit on your throne and will reign forever in a kingdom that will not end. And as the nation of Israel had ebbed and flowed and gone to exile and back, the people of Israel had clung to this promise with a hope that one day God would make good on his promise and a Messiah would come who would reign from David's throne. When the angel talks to Mary, what the angel tells her is that your son will be the son of God and the promised Messiah that your people have longed for forever and ever. That is who your son will be. Now, you can imagine this kind of news coming to Mary. That would have been super encouraging. He later will call him holy and the son of God. I mean, this is great, great things for her to hear. I think Mary would have treasured that, don't you? I mean, let me just, just ask you this. If, how many of you are parents, and if you're parents, how many of you like to hear nice things about your kids? 
Anybody? Anybody treasure some nice things that people say about your kids? Our son plays soccer. And uh, this last year uh, at, the, at the, uh, the last game, our coach circled up all the kids on the ground and he stood in front of them and the parents all semicircled around the outside and, and uh, the coach began to go boy by boy and tell them how proud he was of them, um, the, the attributes they brought to the team, um, the ways he had seen them grow, the things he was looking forward to in their future. And you know, as he went boy by boy around that circle, you know where the parents were? They were standing right there at attention. And you know what they did? They had their phones out, including me. And we were filming, not every kid, but our kid, right? We're not hearing every speech, but we're hearing that speech about our kid. And we're filming it and we're listening to it and we're treasuring those words that are being spoken over our, our child. Even though... Those words were coming as we were nearing halftime of the OU-OSU football game. I mean, parents loved their kids so much, they were not going to leave. We were going to stay right there to hear those comments all the way to the end. And I tell you that because can you imagine Mary thinking back, treasuring in her heart the words that were spoken about her son from the very beginning? Son of the Most High, Savior of the world. He's going to be great. He will be holy. He's the promised Messiah. Mary treasured those things. At the center of the Christmas story is the person of Jesus who brings salvation to the world. One of the things we've got to see about this is that Jesus is the Christmas star. Third thing that we see is this, Mary's example of faith. Mary's example of faith. Though Mary is not someone who is exemplary in her life, she didn't earn this as a trophy, but one of the things we see in Mary is a great example of what it looks like to respond to God in faith. You know, the angel shows up, and Mary is surprised, not because she doesn't believe in God or angels, but just, why are you here to talk to me? So they have a little bit further conversation, and Mary's next question, question in verse 34 is, okay, you're telling me that I'm going to have a child, but I don't know how that is possible because I have not yet slept with a man. I mean, biology is not on her side. She's not asking a question of possibility or probability. She's asking a question of process. I hear what you're saying, but I'm not sure how that will play out. That's not a statement of lack of faith. It's just a statement of how is this going to work? But after it is explained to her how it will work, that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and overshadow her and the child will be born in her womb, how does Mary respond? With the perfect example of faith, I'm your servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. When Mary said that, that statement of faith was very powerful. Because not only was she saying, okay, have the Savior of the world born of me, but she also was saying, in the process of that, I know there will be those who will misunderstand what I'm doing. There will be those who will whisper that somehow I have been unfaithful to Joseph or that we have jumped the gun on our relationship. She knew that that was coming. I mean, how many of us, we talk about how much we enjoy hearing positive things spoken of of our children but how many of us like to see our children in pain or hurting? And yet when Mary said, be it done to me as you have spoken, she was also saying yes to seeing her son mocked and spit on and cursed 
and ultimately nailed to a cross. And yet Mary was willing to say, Lord, I will trust your will and your way and your plans even over my own at whatever the cost. And that way, Mary is a tremendous example of faith to you and me. The fourth thing that we see, though, that I think we need to help remember as we understand this story is how the Lord provided for Mary. In this story, the Lord provides for Mary in a number of ways, some of them expected and some of them maybe a little unexpected. One of the ways that I think is a little unexpected of how the Lord provided for Mary in this, in this account is by the virtue of the fact that she was already betrothed to Joseph. Now, what does that mean, betrothed? We don't talk that way in 21st century America, but in, in the first century, a betrothal was basically an, an engagement, but it was an engagement that could only be separated by divorce. It was that serious. But during that period of betrothal, they would be committed to one another, but living and sleeping separately. And so as Mary is committed to Joseph, she becomes pregnant with Jesus. Now, the Lord could have chosen anyone who met those criteria to be the mother of, of Jesus. And he could have even had Mary become pregnant at a time before her betrothal to Joseph. But I think we see the provision of the Lord for Mary in that she becomes pregnant after she has betrothed to Joseph. And she becomes pregnant not only after she is betrothed to Joseph, but knowing that Joseph was a person of integrity that would not separate from her. There is long-term provision for Mary and for Jesus by the betrothal of Joseph already having occurred. So we see the provision of God for Mary right there. But we also see the provision of God for Mary in that the Holy Spirit enables this miracle to occur in her, that her womb could bear a son even though she had not yet slept with a man. And so we see that the, the power of God and the provision of God to do in and through her what otherwise would be impossible in the birth of Jesus. But a third thing I think that we see the provision of God here is where Mary goes and spends some time with her cousin Elizabeth, an account we're going to look at more next week. But I think it's fascinating that the Lord also has in the same family, Elizabeth, who was con conceived a child with an angel that visited her too, and that was six months ahead of time in front of Mary. So that when Mary leaves this moment where Gabriel had visited her, and Mary goes to spend time with her cousin, she has somebody to talk to who actually understands something about what's going on. And in that way, we see the provision of God for Mary in the midst of this. So through these ways, we see some of the greater understanding that we could have from this story. But my, my hope and desire for us today, friends, is not just that we would have a greater understanding of this story, not that we would just be able to answer a few Bible trivia questions about Christmas, okay? Our goal is that we would understand this passage and be able to respond to it in faith. And so what does it look like for us to apply this truth in our lives? Well, there's a few ways that I can see. One way is this. God chooses us by his grace. We need to remember that God chooses us by his grace. Remember, God chose Mary not because of her performance, but because he chose to bless her. She is called the favored one or the blessed one or the graced one merely because God chose to do it that way, not because of any performance on her part. 
And guess what, friends? The same thing is true for us. You know that phrase, the, the blessed one or the favored one, shows up another spot in the New Testament? I don't think by accident. It shows up in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. It says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, and then here it comes, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, with which he has favored us in the beloved, with which he has graced us in the beloved. Friends, we have been blessed and favored by God. Just as Mary was chosen, so we have been chosen to be recipients of the blessings of God. Now, I say that because that's super important at an applicational level for us to remember because oftentimes we get really good at providing the reasons why God should want nothing to do with us. For some, it is even in our ability to enter into a relationship with God. We look at our resume, we look at all the things we've done, we look at the addictions and the, and the pain that we have caused and the broken relationships and, and whatever, and we look at all of those things and we say, because of these things that are on our resume, God would have nothing to do with me. Well, this story reminds us that God has lots to do with people that have broken resumes. He chooses people from small towns in the north who have nothing who are surprised at angelic visits to be the one who would bear his son. And God uses people like you and me and desires a relationship with us and is willing to forgive us of our sins even when we find ourselves to be broken, not on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of his grace. But it's true not just for salvation, it's also true for ministry inside the Christian life. See, when it comes time to serve Christ, when it comes time to share the gospel with a friend, or when it comes time to step in and and encourage a brother or sister who is struggling, when it comes time to, to serve inside a children's ministry or student ministry or wherever you serve, when it comes time to serve, oftentimes we prepare our spiritual resumes and we point out all of their flaws that we have. And we hold that up and we say, I can't be used by God because my resume is not perfect. And when that happens, I think God laughs because I think God says, guess what? Your little resume you just wrote, you wrote all your flaws. Guess what? You missed a few. There's a few others that you missed because God knows everything, right? But God takes that flawed and broken resume and he stamps it with his grace and he says, we are in his grace and by his choice fit for service. Friends, I don't know if you've ever spent time in your life where you have questioned if God could ever use you. I have. I've shared this with some of you, but in in the last year, I actually sat down and made a list, typed it out. It was a Word document of all the reasons why I was not good or fit for the things that God had called me to. I mean, I just wrote it out. I mean, you guys may never have written it out as a Word document. I'm just that psychotic, but I did that. I I sat down and I wrote this out. And you know, when when I got done typing that out, I really felt like it was this moment where I didn't hear an audible voice, but I really felt like the Lord was just saying to me, okay, are are you done? Are you done? Guess what? You're not where you are in life because you have performed your way there. You're where you are right now because I'm choosing to favor you. I'm choosing to grace you. I'm choosing to use you to take a message to people. And so get over yourself. 
by the grace of God, step forward. Friends, all of us in this room could come up with reasons why God can't through us. But God just stamps his grace on top of it and hands it back to us and says, let's go. God chooses us by his grace. Second thing I think we need to see is that Jesus is the Christmas star. You know, this time of year is full of lots of things. Your calendar is full, I know. My calendar is full. We just had a conversation. We were trying to get together with some friends, trying to figure out when we would be able to do that this year. And it was like, hey, we'll see you in January, okay? There's no time this month. Everything is super busy. And yet this is the time of year that we're supposed to be remembering Christmas, but all we're remembering is the activities and the parties and the gifts and all the other stuff. And so at this time of year especially, we need reminders to help point us towards Jesus um, because he is the real star of this season. And so as we head into this Christmas time, what will be the things that you will use to, to help you remember Jesus this year? I mean, coming to church, this is a great thing for us to do. We can encourage one another. We sing songs. We, we point each other to Christ. We read God's word together. This is one of the things that we can do for that. But what else will you do this month to point you to Christ? You know, one of the things that we can do um, is we can employ some kind of, of Advent or Christmas devotional. If, if you're like us, we have lots of options in this category. Over time, we've collected them. And at our house, it actually can be a little overwhelming sometimes. We've got the Jesse tree, and we've got this book, and that book, and all these things. And suddenly it's like, well, I don't even have time for all of this stuff. So you end up doing hardly any of it. But don't get overwhelmed with all the different ways that you could remember Jesus this year. Just pick one. Just pick one. And if you're looking for a way to help you remember Jesus this year, I've actually written a Christmas devotional to help point our attention towards Christ. And so if you've got something that you're using, great. But if you don't, go to our website, wildwoodchurch.org, click on the picture that looks like Mary's Christmas, and you'll find a link that will take you to that devotional. And you can access it online or you can download it and just have it be a part of your year helping you remember the greatness of Christ this Christmas. That's another way that we can remember uh, and, and apply this passage. But the third way that I think we can apply is this. We can know that Mary's question is our question. Mary's question is our question. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is when the angel shows up, the angel says to Mary basically two things. The time is now, Mary. The Messiah, the Son of God, is here. That's one of the things that the angel said. And when the angel said that, I think Mary was going, amen, awesome, praise God, that's so great, that's so wonderful, that's so cool. And then the next thing the angel said, though, was this, and my means for bringing him into the world is you. And I think that's where she was just, what, what, what? Are, are you serious? I mean, I'll amen that the Savior is here, but how in the world could you bring him through me? I mean, that just seems impossible. And yet, what does the angel say? What is impossible for us is totally possible for God. And Mary's reminded of that. And here's the thing. As we sit here today, the Messiah has come. He's here. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and lived his life. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He was resurrected from the grave and he ascended into heaven. Messiah has come. Forgiveness is available. Eternity is offered. And we hear that and we go, amen, yes, awesome. But then the second part of that is just like the word was to Mary. You know what Jesus said? 
You know what my means is, Jesus says, for getting this message to the world? It's through us. And we're like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 just like Mary. That seems impossible. How can you use me, Lord, to encourage or point my family member who is rejecting Christ, how could you use me to point them back to Jesus? How could you use me to be an influence in my workplace? How could you use me to be an influence in my school or on my dorm floor? That just doesn't seem possible that you could use me, Lord, to be an influence in the fraternity or the sorority where I am. How does that even work? I mean, it just seems impossible. Yet what does God say in response to that? It is impossible for you, but it's totally possible for me. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, God wants to be, have you be the means that take the gospel to the world. So my question for us is not just do we have the same question as Mary, but I think we do. But it's this, will Mary's faith be our faith? Mary said, you know what? I'm going to trust that God can do what he says he's going to do. I can tr- I'm going to trust that God can use me to be the means to take the gospel to the world. And you and I, friends, we can trust, as Mary did, that God could use us as the means to take the gospel to the world. And this Christmas season, God might be able to use you and me to extend his love to those who don't know him. Well, what are some ways that we can do that? Well, one way we can do that is by extending his love uh, to those in our community that have some financial challenges. There are some 600 kids who are part of the Mission Norman program who have no hope of having a Christmas provided for them in any other way. And Wildwood has gotten a part of this program with Mission Norman, and right here in our gathering hall this coming week, we're going to be hosting the Mission Norman Christmas Store. We're seeing 600 kids' families come in and pick out gifts for their kids. Many of you have already given gifts to be a part of this, but we still could, could use some more. And we, we have many of you who have signed up to help with that program, but we still have some opportunities for you to sign up. And as we sign up, our hope is not just to give them a gift. That, that's nice. But we want to give them a gift and share with them the hope of Christ. That's part of the reason why we have the program here. That's part of the reason why we're going to give them a copy of God's Word and point them to Christ as a part of this process. So if you're looking for a way to get involved in trusting God to use you to be the means to take the gospel to the world, maybe signing up to be a part of the Mission Norman Christmas Store is a way that you could do that this year. And you can find that information about that on our website or in the bulletin. But another way that you can get involved in that is by just inviting some people to come with you to join in uh, worshiping here at Wildwood this Christmas. And By each of the doors on the way out, we have a bunch of these little cards, and on the back are information about our service times. And if you would like to take a stack of these, as many as you would would use, and use them to invite people to come and to worship with us this Christmas season, that would be great. You know, when Jesus was first born, God used this brilliant star and angels to bring shepherds and wise men. Um, This year, we're just going to use a card, okay, um, to invite people to come and to worship. That was supposed to be a joke. You can laugh at that. Um, But we're going to use this to trust God to invite people to come and to worship Jesus this Christmas. So a couple of things that you can do to have faith like Mary that God can use us to accomplish his plans. Friends, last thing I want to share with us is another quote from J.C. Ryle. He says this. He says, let us wonder at the amazing condescension of the Son of God. The heir of all things not only took our nature on himself, but took it in the most humble way. It would have been great condescension to come to earth as a king and reign. 
It was a miracle of mercy beyond our comprehension to come to earth as a poor man, to be despised and to suffer and die. Let his love make us live not for ourselves, but for him. Father, we thank you for just the privilege of relating to you on the basis, not of our resume, but on the basis of your grace. Thank you, Father, that you have reached out to us in your mercy and offer us forgiveness and salvation, but also offer us the opportunity to be used by you according to your plans. Father, that the world may know of the greatness of Jesus and that they may hear of him through us. That's our prayer, that we would have the faith of Mary in that regard. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship today. Thank you for this Christmas season and the, the remembering the birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world, and the Savior of our souls. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.